Welcome to Yapo Live, featuring conversations with top D2C leaders. On September 12th at Yapo's conference, Destination D2C, Tom So of ClearBank, Andrea Hippo of Lara Hippo, Magdalena Kala of Bain Capital, and Julian Steinberg of Alliance Consumer Growth sat down with Raj Nijer of Yapo to share insider tips, industry trends, and much more. Uh, if you're a founder looking for money or to raise money, like you should definitely be at this session. So, because there's a ton of money sitting right here. <laughs> um, it's funny, you can laugh at that when you have money. Uh, so, uh, my name is Raj, I'm with Yatpo, uh, but it's not about me. Let's have our panelists introduce themselves a quick, for once, a 30 second to one minute elevator pitch. <laughs> Sure. Uh, right, Julian Steinberg, founder of Alliance Consumer Growth. Um, we invest in consumer brands, um, consumables, things like beauty and personal care and pet and baby, and also some specialty retail and restaurants. Um, Magdalena Kala, I'm a VP at Bank Capital Private Equity. So we're investing out of a $9.5 billion fund. Um, so usually 200 million of revenue and up. But uh, apart from that, anything within the consumer space. Tom So from ClearBank, and so we provide non-dilutive capital um, to fund what I like to call predictable, repeatable, and measurable spend, such as digital ads and inventory. Um, and so we're different from equity in that we're not dilutive, we're different from debt in that we're not backed by any assets. Um, and before that, I was in the venture space at Citi. Um, I'm Andrea Hippo, I'm at Lira Hippo. Um, we are the most active early stage investors in New York, so um, on the opposite spectrum as Magdalena. Um, so we're investing at the seed stage. Um, so sometimes that means just a founder with an idea, sometimes that means um, a business that's kind of just in market, um, but writing between one to two million dollar checks into seed rounds. Great. Uh, Tom, I went to Arizona State, so you have to use like much simpler words. Uh, debt, <laughs> capital, it's too much for some of us. Uh, so we'll start off with uh, Andrea, uh, hometown yeah. uh, fund, uh, Lara Hippo. Can you quickly explain to us, like, what do you mean by seed phase? What is your investment thesis? And what does de-risking look like from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think seed is a bit of a mo moving target these days. Um, I've been at the firm for five years and um, the fund started in 2010. So with our first fund, we were writing like 50K to 100K checks, um, probably at like a two or three post. Um, so kind of what you see more now in angel investing. Um, and then as time has gone on and rounds have gotten bigger, um, now typically it means that companies have raised um, some capital before they come to us, whether that's angels or pre-seed, um, and just to kind of get, kick the tires on the idea of fine product market fit. Um, so, but at the same time, um, it kind of, we do just invest in people with ideas, especially if you're a repeat founder. Um, that's really where the de-risking for us comes in because we are investing in people really at the end of the day. There's really no metrics to dig into. Um, so for us, it's all about investing in really great people and knowing that we're gonna be in a relationship with them for possibly a decade or longer. Um, so just people that we really trust and think that no matter kind of what direction the business goes in, they'll be able to, to shepherd it in the right way. 
I'm interested to see how many Yapo people hit you up with ideas after this, yeah. um, or just people in general. Uh, there's an exit on the other side. Yeah. To get out Sneak of here. out the back. Uh, Julian, on your side, so growth. Like, what does that mean? Uh, you know, from a, like you have seed, you have growth, and then you have scale. Like, how do you define your fund, your investment thesis? Uh, is it largely different from seed? Like, how does it vary or differentiate? Yeah, I mean, ours is 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 very different from seed. I mean, we we don't. Um, we, we invest in consumer brands and, and actually historically there wasn't really a whole you know e ecosystem of investing in consumer brands there wasn't like venture capital and then growth stage there was just private equity that you know was looking for businesses that had EBITDA and that wanted to sell their companies and that's you know typically that was like the entire market for consumer brands right and so when we actually started our firm in 2011 it, we were like one of the earliest stage investors in consumer but we were looking for businesses that are proven and proven for us means you know kind of the holy trinity of consumer which is brands been able to you know create awareness and from awareness trial and from trial repeat purchase and then it's been able to do that over a significant set of distribution but significant doesn't mean like number of doors of distribution or or how big the actual business is it's, it means it's significant in that it's representative of what its future distribution opportunity is. So, you know, that could be a $5 million revenue business, you know, across, you know, so, you know, certain retail, you know, while a $30, $40 million revenue business across other retail isn't proven at all. So it's, you know, for, for us proven is, is different across every category, every brand. Uh, Magdalena, or as I'm gonna call you, $9.5 billion. <laughs> uh, Tell us about Bain Capital. So how do you get involved with brands? Uh, are you the soft bank of brands? Like how does Definitely it work? Definitely not. Uh, we're actually pretty cheap, which is the biggest difference between us and SoftBank. You know, don't overpay ever. Um, but I didn't say that. Uh, so in terms uh, of Bain Capital, too late, too we're, late, kind yeah. of, we're kind of where Julian is just bigger. Um, so we'll look, because of the nature of our fund, we have to invest in larger companies because we can have hundred things in the portfolio, you just can't give it all the attention that it needs. And that's one of our core tenants, which is we have serious resources with our portfolio group, with specialists across every dimension, supply chain, finance, digital marketing, what have you. Massive 35-person-plus uh, team that just works with portfolio companies, we can have too many of them. But we have a big fund, and so you start with kind of 200 million of revenue plus minus and go all the way to uh, multi-billion dollars of revenue. Um, I think the, how we think about the other uh, difference is we usually take majority, and so uh, it's really a partnership between us and a founder uh, who kind of wants to take their business to the next stage, not one of 10 different investors. A lot of times we'll come in when someone wants to clean up their cap table and provide exit to other people. Can't do that if you raise too much money, another issue we face. Uh, but that's kind of how we look at the world. So Canada Goose is one example. When we invested in 2013, was a 150 million revenue brand. Canada Goose. Canada yeah. Goose. Um, New Yorkers love Canada Goose. Yeah. <laughs> you better. Uh, so, but it's, it's, it was a 150 million all wholesale brand. And um, today, five years later, it's 40% direct to consumer over 800 million of uh, revenue, 6 billion market cap on the, on the stock exchange. So uh, just kind of partnering with the um, CEO founder there and taking it to the next stage as kind of the last capital before UIPO. Great. 
Tom, uh, on your side, first of all, congratulations on working for a Canadian company, US <laughs> Open, Shopify, you guys, beautiful prime minister, things are going really well. Uh, explain your investment thesis. Yeah. Like how are you different from funds? Yeah, let me actually give a story of how the company was started. So one of our co-founders was, um, she is a judge on the Canadian version of Shark Tank, so Dragon's Den. And what she found was that when these companies pitched to them, and she would end up taking 20% of their companies, and these are mom and pop com you know, companies where they'll do five, six figures of revenues a year, she felt like this was the unfair way to capitalize a company because you're giving up 20% and you're not really that involved. And so she introduced the concept of a revenue share where she'd say, let me give you X amount of money, I'm gonna charge an X dollar fee on it and you pay me back as a percentage of revenues until I'm paid back in full. Um, it worked out so well that she decided to start a company around it and so that's ClearBank. And so just breaking down the whole equity thing is our capital is structured not as equity in that we don't take a single percentage of a company we do what we call a revenue share. And so um, if a company wants to spend 100K on Instagram ads, for example, we'll charge a flat fee on that and they pay us back as revenues. And at the end of that, we don't take a single percentage of the company. The company has grown. Um, and so it positions them nicely if they either, one, want to be sustainable as a brand or number two, want to look better if they choose to take equity capital later on. And so the way we think about our capital is we're both a complement and in some cases an alternative to traditional venture capital. Got it. I love the shout out to Facebook there. Uh, glad you got that in there. Uh, all right, so let's talk about like teams, people, uh, and everything. I think you're looking for different type of teams, different types of maybe co-founders, founders at different stages. So like Andrea, like what type of founders do you work with or teams do you work with? I'm assuming they're pretty small at your stage. Yeah, so. um, typically at our stage, it's between one to maybe five people at the very most working on, um, the, on the company. At, um, so really small, everyone at that stage is really a founder or a co-founder. Um, and for us, it's really a mix of finding kind of the visionary type founders. Um, obviously, we want there to be someone that has um, some sort of technical expertise, although with direct-to-consumer, it's arguable whether that's really that important with Shopify and all the different platforms out there. Um, and then um, also someone who has the business sense, more pragmatic, who's going to be taking a look at the numbers. So I like to see a diversity on, on the team um, in, in the way that they're going to be thinking. Julian? Yeah, I would say, I mean, um, with our work with our partner companies um, and we probably work a little bit more with them because we have usually typically like nine to 12 per fund companies. So, um, you know, we're involved in every one of them on a board level we're in, and probably 70, 80% of what we do is team building. So it's about taking and working with the founders and helping them create, you know, world-class teams to help them execute their visions. So that, I mean, that's, that's mostly what we're doing. Are you, in your world, providing more resources because the teams are different? Like, are, do you have operating execs that go into? Yeah, like, we uh, do, across a number of different things. So we have people in, in manufacturing, people in operations, people in uh, you know, product innovation and development. Um, th these are all full-time operating partners of ours that we use across our partner companies. Um, and then, obviously, I mean, you know, we, we believe strongly in you know, full-time employees of companies are the most valuable, so we try to hire and and uh, you know, um, um, build the teams that, at, as needed. Aguilina? 
Um, given the scale of companies that we invest in, it's usually a very established team, either whether it's a founder or even a you know, professional executive team. So we think of ourselves more as we are going to be a strategic partners to you with all our resources, uh, but it needs to be a great team in place. Of course, if you have a need in X or Y area, you know, great Rolodex across the entire bank capital family, but it's definitely a big thing of do we really believe in this person and um, what's their plan and are they the right people to execute on that? Got it. Tom, in your world, like how does that work? Yeah, I mean, so I think, so we definitely appeal to founders who really care about owning as much as their company as possible. Um, so that's kind of the direct answer to your question, but I guess the way we decision is more from the data. And so for us to make a decision on a company, we'll plug into the company's commerce platform like a Shopify or Magento. We'll plug in with their ad platforms like a Facebook and Google. We'll plug in with their bank account, payment processor data. And so our decisioning is based on the data that we're being fed and our ability to forecast how the company's going to do in the future. And so um, while we do attract founders who care about ownership, our decisioning is um, a little bit different in the way we, we, we make decisions. Uh, what about people that say, like, oh, I want to bootstrap, I don't want to raise any money, you're here, it's okay, I'll do the talking for you. Uh, and, you know, what do you say to them, right? Because they're like, I don't want to give my company away, they'll come in, they'll take everything, Junior will take my money, all these types of things. Like, how do you, like, how do you defend against that? How do you, what do you say to those people? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that raising venture capital is for everyone. Um, I think that there has been kind of this, distinction in the market that if you have a, a small business, you feel this pressure to raise venture capital. And actually, I think it's great that businesses like ClearBank exist and you're giving people alternate resources because it is, it is dilutive. And if you're thinking about the longevity of a company um, and you're, once you kind of get onto the wheel of VC, you can't really get off. So if you're going to raise a seed round, you're probably going to raise a series A. If you're lucky, you raise a series B and so on and so forth. And just probably at the end of the day, you're going to own less than 20% of the company, which I think is something that founders really need to be thoughtful about upfront, and if that's something that you're willing to do, um, and really what is going to be the scale um, of your company um, at the end of the day. So I, I do think it's really important for people to have that kind of thought process before going to raise their seed round. I think there's a lot of benefits from, from raising venture. I mean, I work at a VC firm, but um, and a lot of doors that can be opened and relationships that kind of can be fostered, but um, you are giving up um, ownership in your company and some of the decision-making power as well. Anyone else? I mean, I think there's tremendous value in raising venture capital if you're the right business, right? So let's say you're in a market category that is extremely large, growing quickly. Um, so for example, one of the categories I really like are, is dog food. Because if you look at the macro trends, people are buying houses later. They're making you know, decisions that adults made much later in lives, and they're replacing it with new behaviors. And so there are specific categories that are conducive to having a large market. Um, there's specific categories that are conducive to having long-term sustainable advantage. And so a lot of the men's health um, and women's health companies, they built an infrastructure of telehealth that's really defensible. And I think for those kinds of companies where there's a true tech moat, uh, massive market opportunity, and um, a way to win in the market if you're thoughtful about go-to-market, these can be billion-dollar outcomes. And so in those situations, I think a venture capitalist can play a huge role in opening the doors and making the right connections. Actually, that leads me to another question. So you, I'm sure you get a lot of inbound requests, right? Pitch decks all day long. I'm working on mine right now, uh, except it's literally me. Uh, so like, what are you outbound? Like, who are you seeking? 
Junior, let's start with you. Like, is there some category you're excited about? Yeah, uh, there's lots uh, of them. If it's and cold brew, we have some back there because we have a ton of millennials here. So, cold brew coffee is a great example, but um, you know, there's there's many others. I mean, um, we we actually are predominantly proprietary outbound, so okay. um, we look at every single category of consumer, and we have a thesis around every single one of them, and we rank every single brand that we think is disrupting a big category and that is you know, really going to be one of the big winners. And then we go after them, whether they're 10 million in sales or 50 million in sales or 100 million in sales currently. So that, that's how we typically do it. And we also get a lot of stuff come inbound, but m m most of our effort is on outbound stuff. Is there a particular category that you're, you can't tell us? Like you want to share the Google Doc or anything? There's, I mean, there's, there, I mean, you guys all, like already know all of them. I mean, it's you know, it's it, um, you know, it's, it's everything that you're seeing in the marketplace. You know, I'll give you an example. It's you know, plant-based of anything, right? Uh, you know, um, there, you know, things along those lines. A lot of plant-based people here. I can already mm -hmm. tell they're nodding. Magdalena, anything from you? Um, well, so for us, I think we, A, can be picky on a specific sector. There are only so many companies out there that have 200, 300, 400 million of revenues and are profitable. Um, Let's just show off, Magdalena. <laughs> No, but, but like it's, it's true, right? And so, and then by the way, we will not invest in things probably that raise money from VC at crazy valuations because the math just doesn't work out. So if you think about what my universe is versus what Andrea's universe is, it's a much smaller list of companies. Um, so we are thematic. We have, you know, kind of views of how the, where the world is going, um, but it's very general at the category level. So um, what I was... The best way to describe it is we look to invest in companies, brands with sustainable competitive advantage on the right side of history, uh, which basically means sustainable competitive advantage, what is your secret sauce? And by that, it's really what do you think you're the best in the world at? And by the way, is that the thing that the consumer in your category cares about the most? Like how well those two things align. And by the way, is it easily replicable by someone else? So going back to Canada Goose, uh, it is by far the warmest jacket on the market. That's why people buy it. Sure, it became pretty fashionable, but at the end of the day, people the buy it because it is the warmest. <laughs> and so, you know, like that's hard to replicate. That is the thing that people care about. That's the thing that Canada Goose nails we were in. Um, and then on the right side of history, it's, you know, we see a lot of businesses that are kind of flattish or growing at 2-3% and thinking about where that business is going to be in 5 years, in 10 years, and is it structurally disadvantaged with innovation and the disruptor brands or not. I'm looking forward to my free Canada Goose so I can try <laughs> it out. Uh, Andrea, like, what are you guys excited about? I know you're predominantly a New York fund. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, but you're also investing outside of New York. Is it a regional thing? Is it a category? Like, what are you... Yeah, uh, so... Dog um, food is off the table. You can't yeah. say that <laughs> um, So on the inbound, outbound thing for us, um, so we're, we're really active. Um, we're due probably about 30 deals a year, but I probably, we probably look collectively as a team at about 3,000. Um, and I would say 98% of those are inbound. Um, so for us, it's kind of like we're the fire, you know, we've got the fire, the fire hose. Um, so I wish I was able to do more outbound, um, but really, um, you know, we're really just 
and we love that's you know, what we love to do. So the inbound's great. Um, but yeah, we're we're New York focused. The, we're our only office here in New York. Um, about 60% of the 250 companies we have in our portfolio are here in New York, and the 40% are elsewhere. Um, we tend to kind of steer clear of SF. We have a lot of companies in LA. We have a few in Austin. I just did a deal in Boulder, Colorado. I have another company in Denver. I have one in Vermont and a few in Canada. So it is kind of diverse outside outside of New York. Um, and what was the other part of this? Was the Boulder one like weed or anything? Like what was it? I'm oh, just curious. Oh, uh, that was not. Uh, that is a pre-launch direct-to-consumer company. Um, but that was a layup for me. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, you, yeah. You no. But cannabis Boulder. actually is um, a sector that we're focusing on. Okay. Um, so we've done five deals so far in cannabis, all kind of in the tech infrastructure. We haven't done any. We've, we have two CBD brands, but we haven't done any plant-touching brands, although I think that's something um, probably with the next fund we raise that that will do. So cannabis is a, a focus. Um, we're doing a lot in digital health, um, and then direct-to-consumer is always a core part of the fund. Okay. Uh, so I've had some conversations with people in the audience, and there are founders here, and there are people that want to be founders. I'd love for you to like maybe give some, this is what happens. At some point in your age, you start giving advice. So let's start giving some advice to people, some of the young people, please. Like, what would you tell them? Like, what do you look at? Like, what are some best practices? How do you get Julian to sign a check, multiple checks? Because once the drip starts, for Andrea, like, it's like... I mean, I mean, I think, you know, once, once you get to us, you, you're, you're, your business is working, hopefully. And that's, um, you know, um, you know why, why, why we're excited to help you kind of execute it and, and de-risk it and take it to the next level. Um, but I would say that, you know, there's a common theme across every business we've ever invested in, and that's, you know, the founders have true authenticity. And in almost every case, they were solving a problem for themselves um, with the business that they started. And so I think, you know, really finding, you know, something that you're passionate about and that really is solving a problem for you seems to be the right way to go. Um, I guess I would say a couple things. One, don't do it alone. <laughs> um, try to, if you don't have someone, a founder, co-founder yet, try to find someone and try to find someone that has complementary skill sets where you'll kind of be able to like divide and conquer and not make, try to make every single decision together. And then two would be um, raise money from your mom. <laughs> uh, which seems weird, but A, we always, I, we ask every founder if they raise from their mom, because if your mom isn't going to give you money, then we definitely shouldn't. And also, um, it's good to have a little bit of time to experiment with the idea and the product um, in kind of a zero risk, well, depending on who your mom is, but hopefully more less risky way um, before you kind of start the whole VC uh, route. It'd be great if your mom's a VC, so yeah, like that, good then, to go. Yeah, the double whammy. Yeah. <laughs> Any advice, Tom, Magdalena? I think for me, it's um, at the end of the day, what I remember are stories. And so when you're pitching your idea, when you're pitching your business, instead of having the investor make his or her own conclusions about what the potential could be, if you frame it in the right way, if you tag it to the right macro trends, if you point to customers who are so passionate about your product that they can't live without it, then there's, there's no room for me to interpret it in a negative way because the context that you provide has painted your business in such a positive light already. And so um, for me, what, what's helped me a lot in my career too is just what is the story I'm going to take, tell when I'm talking to someone and what do, the, what do I want them to, if they could just have one thought when they leave the conversation, what would it be and optimize around that? Um, one thing I would add, and I will go a little philosophical here, know what you're solving for. 
because if you're solving for building a long-term brand that's going to be around in 30 years, build it like that from the start. Uh, because I think a lot of times now, startup brands are getting into the growth at all expense, and all I care about is my sales growth and my media coverage, and don't invest enough in building for the long term. And uh, that's uh, one of the more unfortunate kind of buckets of companies we see when they kind of go to the certain stage, but there is not a lot underneath. Great. Uh, so I'm a parent. I have one child, so I love asking this question. Pick a favorite child in your portfolio. Uh, is there one company that you want, you're particularly proud of, uh, that something notable, like can, do you, if you want to share with us? I mean, I'm obligated to say this because he's here, but <laughs> Danny from Boxes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's making subscription boxes for um, snacks from abroad and he's starting in Japan. But um, you know, what we like about it is when you get the snack box, for me, it's less about the actual snacks it's about the booklet that comes with it. And when you open the booklet, it tells you where each snack it's from, why he chose it, the story of the person that put the snack together. And I think that is such an authentic experience. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone else? Danny's getting enough love already, don't worry. <laughs> um, I don't know if I can pick just one, um, but there's a category of companies which are female-founded companies. Um, we are about half the portfolio is female founded and that's really accelerated in the last two to three years. So that's been super exciting for me and I, I love working with the female founders across, across the portfolio. Great. I have else? to go with Virgin Voyages. Great. So um, it's a very unusual investment for us because it was technically a startup investment. So we're launching a cruise line with Richard Branson and the Virgin Group. Um, and the, the whole idea was that Richard wanted to fix the cruise industry. What he did to airlines, he wanted to do cruising, make cruising great again. Um, and so we're building a cruise ship from scratch with $700 million. And people who designed the interior have never designed a cruise ship. And we will not have a buffet. And it's <laughs> adults only. And all sorts of little fun things that you know, people hate about cruising. Uh, we're trying to fixing on the margin. So launching April 2020, uh, Virgin Voyages don't come. Check it out. Quickly, Julian, anything on? We're also investing good. in 50% right, uh, female-founded businesses. Yeah, and if you want 10% off Virgin Voyages, Magdalena is here. Uh, I was hoping for 25, but Richard needs his cut too. All right, thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you.